So today we're going to be continuing our series on the Gospel of Luke called the Upside Down Kingdom. And the reason it's called the Upside Down Kingdom is because whenever Jesus has come into this world, he has flipped everything upside down. Nothing is the same anymore because of him coming into this point in history. And today we're going to be looking at another way, which there are many, in which the way of Jesus doesn't quite look like the rest of the world. He's asking for something different, and he's flipping things around. As I've gotten older, I've noticed that I care a ton about convenience. If there's a way for me to, if I have to spend a little bit more, more money to have to do something that's easier for me, I'm probably going to do it. And really, I think I'm a product of our culture in this regard. I think we in our culture oftentimes have a lot of different things that we chase convenience in. We're trying to constantly simplify life. Like, we don't just go to the grocery store that much uh, anymore just to grab a few things whenever we can just have curbside pickup or whenever we have things like DoorDash to get stuff delivered straight to us. Shopping's a lot easier now, right? We can just have Amazon get us stuff the same day. We can cook food in a matter of moments or go through a drive through or something and get it really quickly. Whenever cooking back in the day used to be an all-day endeavor, we can Google something that we're curious about and have the answers to it in an instant when back in the day, heaven forbid, you had to ask other people about things or go to the library. Uh, libraries exist. That's still a thing. But if you rewind time some 200 years ago, like, for example, whenever this church was planted, life was a lot harder. Like, people weren't thinking about convenience. They were thinking about survival. <laughs> How are we going to make it through the winter? But today, we've grown really comfortable. I mean, for crying out loud, we invented the Snuggie, right? I think that is a symptom of our culture, right? But as we're going to see today, doing what is comfortable or convenient is not really the way of Jesus at all. Turn with me to Luke 8, if you would. We're going to begin in verse 4. And we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. And this parable is so, so relevant for today's world. And Jesus is such a masterful teacher in, in how he uses this metaphor. And honestly, even though it's called the parable of the sower, I think maybe a better title would be the parable of the soils, because it's more so about how different soils are receptive to the seed of the sower. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So starting in verse 4, it says, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I imagine just only hearing that from Jesus, that might make us scratch our head a little bit, just hearing that metaphor, like, what are you talking about? And that's exactly what you see with the disciples. They don't know what he's talking about. They don't get the meaning of this. And then Jesus interprets what he means in this parable. Sometimes I wish Jesus would do that a little bit more in the Gospels, uh, <laughs> take the curtain back a little bit more so we can see exactly what he's talking about. But he does that with this passage. So beginning in verse 11... Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. 
And those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So this first soil, or the group that he's talking about here, is those who are exposed to the word or the gospel, but ultimately end up rejecting it to the point of their own condemnation. And that's why we read of the metaphor in the early part of people trampling over the seed and birds coming and eating it. And Luke attributes this to the devil taking away the word from people's lives, which I don't think we think about that too much. It makes me think about Ephesians 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the authorities, the principalities and powers, and the spiritual forces for evil in this world. So those on this path, though they may reject the gospel, they are not our true enemy. They are not our enemy. Our enemy is the one who is taking the word away from these individuals. And though I believe that the category of the path is a general group of those who reject the word, whenever I read of this group, I honestly start thinking of names and faces. And although people of this path are mentioned not being saved, I want to be very clear that I am not by any means condemning any of these people that I'm thinking about in my, my head. Right? It's not our place to be the judge, to be the one that says, sorry, you're not making it. I think that's a, a dangerous place for us to be. We can make righteous judgments. I say all that to say, I do think rejecting Jesus is a very dangerous thing to do. But whenever, whenever I think about those of the path, I think about people, and there's a lot of these people, that I either grew up with or went to college with, that at one point or another had a pretty strong faith, it seemed like, but ultimately ended up choosing to reject their faith altogether. And that could be because they were disenchanted by church people being hypocrites, or that could be because they've deconstructed their faith to a point where they don't have a faith anymore. And it just hurts my heart. And as a quick aside, I know I said the word deconstruction, and I know that's kind of a buzzword in Christian circles today. It's either a handshake of, oh, you are enlightened, or it's something like, oh, that's worse than Satan sort of thing. I just want to say deconstruction is just a word. We all deconstruct and reconstruct all the time. I deconstructed from legalism more into grace, and I'm grateful for that. We, we go through these processes all the time. So it's, it's just a word. I understand why there's some hesitation when we might hear that word. Um, but we all deconstruct and reconstruct all the time. I used to think Chick-fil-A had the best chicken sandwich. I deconstructed from that, reconstructed to thinking Popeye's does. So now, now you all think I'm truly heretics. But, um, <clears throat> but a lot of my friends that have deconstructed into having no faith, I honestly believe that they could have reconstructed into something better had they had somebody in their life that was a trustworthy person to help guide them through. Someone who was still clinging to Jesus, who has walked through that path before them, and they just didn't have that person in their life. So my prayer is that today, if you are wrestling with your faith in any way, find a trustworthy source. Find someone who's still clinging to Jesus, who might be versed in some of the things and the questions that you're asking, and process that with them. Do not go through this stuff alone. And I, I want to offer myself as a help for this too. If you're wrestling through stuff, if you have questions, please come and talk to me. I'm not saying that I have arrived by any means. I have about a billion and a half questions for God still. But what I can promise you is that I'm a safe person to help process these things with. 
and I pray that our church is as well. And I just want to encourage you, Jesus is worth the effort of digging deep into those questions. So do not just give up. And then we read verse 13, the next group. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. And again, this one's pretty straightforward. It's easy to love Jesus whenever your life is good. But what happens whenever things get hard? Whenever finances are struggling, whenever we lose loved ones, whenever we are in constant or considerable emotional or physical pain, are we still able to cling to Jesus in that period of testing? Last week we talked about temptation and why the Spirit may lead us into times of trial or tempting. It's through trials like what Jesus went through that we can become refined by fire and more sanctified into the likeness and image of God. But these times of trial, it can lead us into two different directions. It can lead us to one of refinement, like we talked about last week, or it could just make us want to throw in the towel whenever it gets too hard. And sometimes church has been a place where people have felt like they had to wear a mask, where they couldn't really be themselves, they couldn't talk about the hard questions and the things that they're wrestling with in life because it seems like everybody else has their life all together. And maybe you feel like you're not able to question or wrestle very well with God and you don't have a voice to do that. But here's the truth. In scripture, we find many instances of people, righteous people, people in relationship with God, being angry and frustrated with God and voicing those to him. If you don't believe me, read the book of Psalms. (laughs) About a third of those are exactly that. The important thing in all of this is to keep clinging to God, keep going to God with those frustrations. Not to just let those frustrations settle inside your soul to where you just become apathetic and turn away. That's where the rocky soil kicks in. Maybe because of hardship in your life or because of what Jesus might mean for you, you would be tempted to throw in the towel. Maybe you can't believe in a God that would make you go through the things that you're going through or somebody else is going through. Maybe you don't want to believe in God because of how it might make your own life harder. But I would encourage you that it is worth fighting the good fight. Persevering through those trials that you're going through. Because we don't know why things happen, but I can tell you this. If you cling to God while you are going through the hard, the person that you will be on the other side of it is far stronger and more like Jesus. And again, I just want to say, Jesus is worth it. He's worth that hard wrestling period. And another encouragement is just know that in the end, all will be made right. God is going to wipe away all mourning and all tears and all death, and that's going to be washed away. So just hold on a little bit longer. And then in verse 14, we read of the third group, and this is the one that I wish I could erase in the Bible. But in verse 14, it says, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear... But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Why did Jesus have to include this one? I feel like this is one that all Christians, maybe particularly American Christians, can kind of dangerously gravitate towards. I know this is the one that I most dangerously gravitate towards, which is why I want to erase it. But something that I think I primarily cared about growing up and 
this was so true for many of, much of my growing up years into college. What I cared about was I wanted to know what I had to do to be saved. But after that point, I didn't really care. I didn't really care that much about the Christian life. I didn't really care that much about living like Jesus. What I was doing was really treating my relationship with God like some kind of life insurance. I have it just in case something bad happens in life, but really I just want to keep doing what I want to do. Too often I think we want to accept Jesus just to be safe. But we keep living as if nothing in our lives have actually changed. We may be Christian, but do we look like it to anybody else? Can people notice a difference in our lives? Or do we just look like the average American around us? Because not looking like the one that we follow is actually one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people have turned away from church. Because they're like, yeah, you claim all this stuff, but when the rubber meets the road, you don't do anything different than I do. And you know what? I think Christians, we can have a desire to admire Jesus and look at him and what he's done. But really deep down, I think sometimes we're like, I don't really want to follow you. I don't want to do the things that you're doing. The mindset is, I want all the good of Jesus without any of the hard for my own life. I want to do enough to get in, and then I want to do what I want to do. And these distractions that get in the way of our faith, they're called thorns in this passage. And the first one that is mentioned here is being choked by life's worries. And that makes me think of what Jesus says in Luke 12, whenever he's talking about not being anxious in his life. And the three things that he mentions are don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, about your body, or what you're going to wear. He's tackling issues of security and safety and self-image with people. And I think, honestly, this is for myself, and I'm sure a lot of us in here can say this too, maybe we've made security and comfort a little bit of an idol in our lives. Maybe we are too stingy with our money because we feel like we have to rely on ourselves more than we have to rely on God. And I know personally this worry specifically has gotten in the way of me being an effective follower of Jesus. And the self-image part, maybe we're too concerned about what people perceive of us. Maybe we feel the need that we have to keep up with all the trends and we have to look respectable. We have to wear the right clothes in order to be treated the right way. But I think stuff like this gets in the way of following Jesus. And there's a lot of other thorns too. One of the other ones he mentions in this passage is riches and pleasure. There's a lot of fun, good stuff in life. And I just want to be clear, pleasure is not a bad thing. God loves giving good gifts, but it is so easy for us to idolize it. Just look at how you spend your time and money and you're going to see what your idols are. The pleasures of this life can fill up all of our time and get in the way of us being an effective follower of Jesus. And those are just some of the thorns in our lives, right? I don't think this is an exhaustive list. But we shouldn't just be accepting of these thorns. Be like, yeah, that's who I am. We, should be we shouldn't be asking what is the bare minimum needed for salvation. What we should be asking is, God, what else do I have to give over to you? What else have I not given over to you? Because this parable, it's not primarily about salvation. It's about following Jesus, and that's really what the New Testament focuses on. It's not talking about the right way to do church. It's not focusing on the steps of salvation. It's focusing on how you live your life. How do you follow Jesus? 
I'm not saying those other parts aren't important, but if you just look at the sheer volume of what is present in the New Testament, it's so much more about how you live your life as a Christian in this world. Baptism is not the end goal of a Christian's faith. It's the beginning. And after we are baptized, we can still give in to all the thorns in our lives and stop caring about growing in our faith. So my prayer is that we as a church be aware of the thorns in our lives that stunt our desire for more of Jesus and seek to remove them. And then we get to the good soil. The group that all of us hope to be, I would hope, says, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So these are the people who care about holiness and obedience to God. These are those who hear the word and ultimately produce a crop, even through the trials by fire. They do something with their faith and with their lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. And the fruit of their life is evident, whether that's in their good deeds or bringing people to Jesus. They produce a crop a hundredfold. So what does it look like to be the good soil? How can we be the good soil? And really the question is, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? It's impossible to read the book of Luke and miss how important Luke or Jesus thinks discipleship is. Whenever I say discipleship, I'm talking about actually following Jesus, being like Jesus. We read of a lot of stories about discipleship in the gospel of Luke. We read of stories like Peter, James, and John, and Levi all leaving their work, whether that's from being in the tax collector booth or being in the boat, leaving everything and following him, everything. Two times in Luke, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the good news and put it into practice. Showing that obedience, actually following through, doing something is an important part of all of this. Two times in Luke, Jesus calls his followers out to go into the world and preach the kingdom of God and heal people. While not bringing any food or bag or money and not even another change of clothes. And this is encouraging. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Woo, sign me up, that sounds great. And then he really does it. He says, unless you hate your father or mother, wife or children, brother or sister, whoever it is, or even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, don't go calling your parents or your children saying, hey, I heard the preacher say I'm supposed to hate you, so sorry. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is even over the most fundamental relationships in your life, we should always pick Jesus as the priority. Because there are times that Jesus might divide a family. And he's saying, you better pick me. What he's saying, to be the good soil, if we don't leave everything and pick up our cross, bear our burdens for Jesus, we're not the good soil. Because being the good soil means that in life, whenever we have to choose between Jesus or anything else, we always choose Jesus, regardless of the outcome. And the good soil produces a good crop, so naturally we have to ask the question, are we? Are we producing a crop? Are we effectively living out the gospel? Because the truth is, we all have the seed. We have pockets full of seed. We have the words of God. We have the good news of Jesus overflowing in our lives. And we need to be sowers of it.
But as Jesus mentions, while the harvest is plentiful, meaning while there are plenty of people right here in Franklin that don't know Jesus from John, the laborers are few. There are not many people who actually care enough to do the hard work of following Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not talking down on any of you. I'm looking at myself. I'm asking the question myself, and I pray that we ask this of all of ourselves. How many people have I discipled? How many people have I helped partner with God in bringing to know Jesus? How many people am I seeking to disciple right now in my life? And that question, it might be a hard one to answer. We don't know how a word or actions in our life may have helped bring somebody closer to Christ. But I think we will know if we are actively discipling someone or not. And to be clear, I want to be very, very clear. We are not the ones who are saving anybody. That is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to plant the seed and to help water it, but God is the one who makes it grow, right? So how much seed have we been planting? How much have we been watering? How many new Christians have become a part of Fourth Avenue in the last few years? And I'm not talking about new members, which new members, I'm really grateful that you're here today. Thank you uh, for placing membership. I'm not really in the business or care too much about sheep swapping, about getting people from other churches to come here or something like that. I'm talking about kingdom growth. How many new Christians, people who don't know Jesus, have we brought into this church in the last five years? And I'm not asking this question to shame anybody. I'm not asking this question for those of you who have to pat yourself on the back. I'm asking this question as a sobering one, one that I ask myself all the time, and something that I'm repenting from today and talking with you, because I know I can be better at this. But we all are a part of the same mission, and that is the Great Commission, and that mission is for all of us. All of us are missionaries. All of us are ministers. It's not the staff's job, it's not the shepherd's job to do this. It is all of our work together. And I've, I've heard complaints about members in all the churches that I've been a part of in my life throughout my time in churches. And I've heard complaints about it's too cold in this room, the music's too loud. But only one time have I ever heard a complaint or a frustration about the lack of baptisms that we've been having. And luckily that was here at this church. Because the truth, church, discipleship is what it is all about. We can sit in services, we can sit in Sunday school, we can sit in personal Bible studies and master, master the playbook as best as we can, we can conquer Bible bulls, whatever. But in studying the playbook so intently, we could have missed out on playing the game altogether. And though we have pockets full of seed, we are too afraid or too apathetic to start scattering it. And there's a lot of reasons as to why that may be, but my prayer church is that we create a culture here where every person in these pews is a sold out disciple of Jesus and is actively looking to help bring the world, bring God's kingdom to earth right here in Franklin. That is my prayer. And my prayer is that one day in these pews, they will all be filled with people, not just with people who are here to check off a list on Sundays, 
but people who are sold out disciples, many of them being first generation Christians from this community. That's my dream, and that feels like a daunting dream. But if we all follow Jesus, it's possible. And while you may feel like sharing your faith is hard to do, in reality, discipleship is just inviting people to come alongside you in your life while you're living your faith out. And truthfully, talking with people about Jesus is not as much of a challenge as it may seem. And I'm, I'm sure most of us, we don't need more education on it. We just need to start doing it. And I'm going to give you a little template. I'm going to give you some five different things that you can do. I'm not saying every single time you talk with somebody about your faith that follows this format. This is just, if you're having a hard time figuring out how to get started in doing this, here are some things that might help. First and foremost, pray. Prayer is where we need to start. Pray for God to identify people in your life that need to know him, that are suffering in silence, that are crying for someone to help them. And then be looking for those opportunities as you live your life. Have the lens of discipleship every day when you go to work, when you go to school. It's really important. And then once you identify who that person or who these people are, love them <laughs> unconditionally. Show them the unconditional love of Jesus. Because the world doesn't know what that's like. They don't know what that feels like. And it's a great segue into why are, why are you this way? Why are you helping me so much? And then the next thing, just live out your faith. Give glory to God whenever there are different moments to give, give glory to God. And then most importantly, uh, maybe not most importantly, I say loving them might be the most important thing. Give, give an invite to someone. That can be here to church. That can be at a small group. That can be a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. That can be, hey, let's go to the movies. Let's just keep having this relationship together. It doesn't have to be this huge, daunting, intimidating task. It's just bringing people alongside of you in your life for the hope that they may come to know Jesus. And what's the worst thing that can happen? What are we really afraid of? Maybe losing friendships, losing a reputation. Maybe it's just fear of the unknown. But honestly, the worst case scenario is you're probably going to get told no, and things are going to keep moving on as normal. But even if the worst possible scenario in your mind happens, I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus worth losing everything for? And if we can't answer that question, yes, then we have some more soul searching to do first. But imagine this, because of your planting a seed, you help bring somebody to know Jesus. In a lifetime of doing that, you get to bring many people to come to know Jesus. Not that it's only you doing it, it is the Spirit's work in you. But you get to be a part of that. Talk about a legacy. This Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And he had a huge legacy, right? And part of why I think he had that legacy that he did is because he was a disciple of Jesus. Was he perfect? No. But the things that he preached, he lived out. He preached about non-retaliatory love, and he lived it. And because of that, the world is forever changed. And if we live like a disciple of Jesus, who knows what can happen in your life. You may not get a holiday named after you, but you can really help bring people to know Jesus. And right now, I believe this world is fertile soil. I believe there is a lot of good soil right here in Franklin. Recently, if you're an NFL fan, or if you're not, I guess it made national news, you would have seen recently that DeMar Hamlin, a safety for the Bills, he 
took a hit pretty hard and ended up having cardiac arrest on the field. And the world was shook by this. Absolutely shook. People were praying on live television for him. People were holding candlelight vigils. It's really amazing how something that freaky can unite people, right? But it's a reminder that in times of crisis, people turn to God because we don't know what else to do. And you want to talk about crisis, just rewind the last three years. Pick one. <laughs> the world went through a lot. People are asking the question, like, what is the point of all this? People are wondering, how are marriages going to survive? How am I going to raise our kids in this technological world? How am I going to overcome an opioid addiction? There are so many questions, so many things people are searching for. They're looking for the answer. And we have the seed. You have the seed to their good soil. And my prayer, church, is that we be a church that is good soil. That we produce a crop. That we care enough to share the good news of Jesus with other people. Because the truth is, the kingdom of God is going to spread with or without us. The only question that we need to ask ourselves, do we want to be participants in this? Do we want to be sowers of this seed? Or do we just want to hold on to all of it ourselves? I want to invite all of our shepherds and uh, prayer team to go ahead and line the outside of this room. And we have this time in our service. Uh, if you have a need of anything in your life, if you're going through some of the stuff that I talked about today, if, if you want to repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I haven't given this over to you yet in my life. There are some things in my life that I'm, I'm currently doing that with. Please do not hesitate to go to any of these people. They will pray for you and they will walk alongside of you as, as you're going through what you're going through. Please do not suffer through what you're going through alone. It's, it's not good. So um, after I pray, I want to invite any of you who might have anything. And that, it can be prayers of celebration. It can be just personal struggles, whatever it is, to go and have somebody pray over you. So after I pray uh, and we sing this next song, you can go ahead and, and do that. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. You have chosen a hard path to go down. You haven't done what is easy. And you showed us the path to doing it. And it's before us. And we know that with your help, through your strength, we can do it too. Sometimes we just turn to the gods of comfort. We turn to the things that we want to do as opposed to choosing what is actually best for us in your will and in your way. And I pray that you help us to have the courage to make that step, to care and have the heart for the people around us to not just let them suffer in what they're going through, but be able to show you to them that whenever they see us, they see you and give glory to you. Help us to live a life that's worth following. We pray all this in your holy son's name. Amen.